You're listening to the Sprues and Brews podcast, your weekly podcast looking at all things Warhammer. Hello and welcome to episode 203 of the Spruce and Bruce podcast. My name is Dave and I'm joined once again by Matt. Hello. And Andy. Hello, hello, hello. We have no Jay this week because sadly he has work commitments. You say this, you say this, I've got a theory. It's a very chaos flavoured episode of the show, isn't it? It is. And I just don't think he could stand around to be, you know, talking all this heresy. That's that's actually very true. Um, yeah. Okay. We'll go. We'll run with that. You just couldn't face a chaos-inspired episode. And the reason, Matt, that it's chaos-inspired is because you've reviewed a book this last week. We have the Disciples of Zinch Battle Tone for Warhammer Age of Sigmar. Um, it's out. Well, it's not out. It's out on Saturday. But I've reviewed it, and we'll have a look through the book uh, in the main segment of the show. Excellent stuff. Uh, to keep it chaos this week, we've also got a chaos inspired top three. So for this week's top three, we'll be picking out our favourite models from the Grand Alliance Chaos, um, which would be quite a broad and fun one to to read out. And um, Jay has, you know, he, to, to, fair play to him, he has picked uh, his own um, top three, which we'll we'll share with you later on as well as ours. And then of course we open the floor as we always do to the community to pick their top threes as well. Um, so yeah, we'll get those read out towards the end of the show. Uh, we then, of course, have all the latest Warhammer news, including pre-orders, which obviously also includes the Disciples of Zeech. Um, but before we get stuck into all of that tasty content, let's talk about what we've been doing in the hobby since the last podcast. Uh, I'm going to go over to you, Andy, first, because um, you teased <laughs> us before we hit the record button. So what are, what are you currently painting? So on my hobby desk at the minute is uh, 20 Hobgrots from the Dominion Boxer. Hobgrots? Hobgrots? Hobgrots. That sounds like you're painting a Cruel Boys army there, Andy. Well, yeah, probably. Um, You know, my name's Andy and I have a Warhammer addiction. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, Yeah, so I've got 20 Hobgrots on the painting desk at the minute. Um, One of my hobby resolutions is to paint the entire contents of the dominion box set and i don't think i've painted a unit from that box set since probably like february march sort of time um so i'm kind of a bit more determined now to try and get as many things from that box set painted as i possibly can um because we are vastly running out of time for this uh for 2022 so um yeah so i'm painting some I've been painting up a lot of the Heart of Gur scenery from the Heart of Gur box set. Um, but painting up the sort of like scatter pieces, like the obstacles and stuff like that at the minute. Um, that's been really good fun. Um, I've done kind of a mixture of your painting guide, Matt, that you did on the website. And um, there's a guy on Twitter called Garfi, I think is handle is um and he did a painting guide for him as well so i've just been um sort of painting up the scenery set based on both of those um guides um and then on thursday uh yeah thursday i went up to warhammer world and took part in the war cry uh event uh, that we did on like a thursday evening 
Um, it was three games um, of Warcry, and um, it was in Bugman's Bar, which I've just reminded myself is also one of my hobby resolutions <laughs> to play a game in Bugman's Bar. So that was quite Ooh. a nice surprise. Um, but yeah, I took the Orgas um, to that event, and yeah, played Soulblight, Grave Lords, Sylvaneth, and then I played. In the final game, one of the organisers who was standing in a spare player who was using the Darkoth warband, which came out with the spiders. Um, I forget my name. Tarantulous Brood, I think they came out with. Um, and that was really good fun. I've learned a lot about Warcry and I'm really enjoying it. You know, as long as you focus on the mission and you don't focus on killing stuff, then you're typically all right. Um I found that with the ogres, the ogres are pretty good at killing stuff, but because you've only got effectively four fighters, I mean, you've got a couple of noblars, you, you don't, you really need to be very meticulous with how you use them. It's kind of like playing the Depths Custodes in Kill Team. Uh, you don't get a lot of guys, but you guys are pretty tough. Um, and apart from that, I can't think of anything else. Oh, I painted the magister and being carnet but i think that was in last week's show um and yeah that, that's about all i've been up to apart from that i've built oh i primed i did prime the uh mordor battle host box i've got that prime now so once the hobgrots are out of the way i'll start cracking on with that um and yeah i think that's about all i've been up to in this last week so quite quite a bit yeah you have done quite a bit there um, it's funny you should end on a Lord of the Rings now, so I'll go next in a second. But, but before I do that, Andy, could we see a Cruel Boys army for the Path to Glory tournament at the end of October? <laughs> <laughs> you, you mean in about three weeks' time? Yeah, well, uh, that's not very far off at all. Yeah, I reckon Andy could knock out 2,000 points for Cruel Boys in that time. You, you know what? If I was like 20, 22... You know, I, I did that. I, I would whack out an army in a week for an event or something along those lines. Yeah. It's I, only because it's not one of your hobby resolutions, is it? No, it's not. Um, don't get me wrong. Yeah. I would like, I very much like to take a Cruel Boy army to a Path to Glory event, but yeah, I don't, I can't see it happening for this one. Ah, oh, well, never, never mind. I, I thought we were going to see some Cruel Boys then. Um, so the, obviously you mentioned um, Mordor there to finish off your hobby, hobby update. I was doing some uh, late night painting last night and The Hobbit, the third film in the Hobbit series, was on telly and the Battle for the Five Armies. Man, that made me want to paint some Middle Earth. <laughs> <laughs> Should have been doing that. I was painting Skaven, which is pretty much going to be the tale of the next few weeks, I'm afraid. With um, your left on the Skaven, Dave? I've um, still got... Um, so I've I'm currently painting clan rats. Um, I've got 40 of them to do. Um, I'm hoping to do at least 20 this week. Um, I completely forgot that I've got two storm fiends to do as well. Um, and then I've also got a warp lightning cannon. Um, I was also going to be painting a doom wheel, which was I was a little bit concerned about because um, I've, it's going to be in so many sub assemblies. Um, what I've actually decided to do, a bit controversial, because when me and Matt were talking about the, the Path to Glory armies, we universally sort of said we won't include any special characters. I'm sort of breaking that rule a little bit. 
Um, so I've decided to take along as part of the, the final 2000 point force the um, Warhammer Underworld uh, Warband for the Skaven. Um, so technically, I'm taking a special character because he is named him and his little friends. Oh, um, but Ooh. That, is, uh, that, that's not what I was expecting there. Or was it not? No. Well, the reason being is they are a very good unit, I, I will admit. Um, it does mean I'm kind of leaning into the assassin side uh, quite heavily. Um, but it saves me having to pick a Doom Wheel before the tournament. Would a Doom which... Wheel not be quicker than four characters? No. Not for me. Not yeah, for the me. Doom Wheel. I, I've, I painted a Doom Wheel back in 8th edition, I think it was. And that was... Yeah, it was a nightmare of a model to paint. It was like, don't get me wrong, it's a gorgeous model, but yeah, I I I did the same as you, Dave. I had to paint it in sub assemblies. But going back to the um, warband, the Underworld's warband, you could just rename the character but use yeah. that war scroll, I and mean, then that yeah. way you're not using. I, I, it also, I think for the point, because I I also had a bit of an awkward number of points that was kind of overhanging so it kind of ticks all the boxes it makes it means i'm i'm, I'm finishing my army 2000 points on the nose as well oh, that's cool um and the doom wheel would have just performed a function in my army but i feel that the assassins uh the underworld's warband um will do me better i'm not taking a competitive list at all but i think it gives me something with a little bit of punch and it also gives my army um the ability to sort of start turn one in my opponent's deployment zone, then that's before Norholes and stuff. So um, I think it'll be really fun to use them. And I, I, you know, I can, I've already got half of them painted. So yeah. Are you you leaning into the Path of Glory? Are you writing any narrative or doing any funky bits for the Path of Glory? I've got some plans, um, but they are secondary at the moment. I want to get the army finished. Um, and then I will try and hopefully I'll have enough time to to delve into the lore of my clans um, before we go to the event. So Ooh, I'm not serious. worrying myself too much on that at the moment because I just want to get the army finished. My final, the final parts of the jigsaw did arrive this week. So I've got my vermin lord, which could not, you know, I could spend all this time painting and could never appear during the weekend, but hopefully it will. I'm still not completely sold on what I'm going to build him as yet but I'll hopefully make that decision this week, um, obviously before I build him. And also my warp fire um, weapons team as well. That's arrived as well. So uh, but that, that'll take like two minutes to paint. So um, yeah, really looking forward to getting those built uh, and finished. So yeah, really feeling the Skaven again now. Cannot wait for the event. Should be a good one. Um, other than that, on the painting front, um, I have finished painting... My Inquisitor, Inquisitor, Inquisitor Erasmus. He's the store anniversary Inquisitor. I'm actually going to enter him into the Golden Nurgling painting competition at our local GW store this coming weekend as part of uh, the store anniversary. So, paint the store anniversary model for the store anniversary. Ooh, cunning plan, so, cunning plan. Cunning plan. So, uh, all I've got left on him is the base around the book. The reason that's not been done yet is I can't decide what I want to do. Um, I'm thinking Sands, who's going to match my guard and Grey Knights. Um, in fact, that probably is what I want to do. But um, I'll probably do that in the next night or so, so he's ready to hand in uh, before the end of the week. Uh, and what else have I been up to in the hobby? I think that's actually 
me oh no there's one other thing i was going to mention so since me and andy had that game of Warcry what two weeks ago i've been delving through the compendium um and it's funny again andy that you should mention the dominion box because i've got a hankering for potentially building a stormcast one Ooh. um stormcast Warcry warband yeah yeah nice. uh, Thunderstrike one um and the only my only other alternative well there's a couple of alternatives i, I too like the look of the ogres um, but I watched the Warhammer TV Warcry Battle Report, which was um, Stormcast versus Cruel Boys. And um, it's really cool that you can take your stab grot and your pot grot as separate fighters for Warcry. I thought that was really cool because they don't really play a massive part in AOS proper, but they're actually their own little characters in Warcry. Uh, and I quite like that. Um, but no, I think it gives me a reason to um, to paint up some of the new Stormcasts because I've been hankering to do that. And it seems like a really good reason. And each of them, each of the models will look sort of unique, even if I include a couple of Vindictors. Um, I can, you know, use ones with different poses and stuff. Probably led by a Knight Arcanum or something like that. Um, so, um, yeah, I want to build a force time. I'll probably end up painting my um, Chaos Warband first, though, the Spire Tyrants, um, before I paint those. But, um, yeah, Andy, ever since we had that game, yeah. I'm like... Yeah, dying to have another game with the Spy Tyrants or the Stormcast or whatever I, I conjure up. So, yeah, we'll have to make that happen um, pretty soon. Uh, and that's that's me, I think. That's me for the hobby this week. Um, Matt, what have you been up to? You, you, you've left the boring one to last day because I can't talk about what I've been painting. I've built something that's really cool, but I can't talk about. And I've painted some things that are really cool, but I can't talk about. So um, I went to my storage unit and sorted out some boxes. I don't know if that's exciting <laughs> podcast talk. Um, I dug out Gazgul Mag Uruk Thracker for the uh, aforementioned um, gold golden nurgling competition is it mm. um so pulled him out uh he'll be going as my 40k entry and i'll be bringing bellacor as my age of sigma entry ah cool so yeah um other than that can't tell you what i've been painting sorry dave you have been reviewing the disciples book i suppose i have, well, I have. we'll be talking about that won't we we'll be talking about that yeah yeah so that brings us to the end of this opening segment of this week's episode we have got Zeech to talk about a little bit later, but before we get to that, let's go through all of the latest news. So what do we have, Matt, in this week's news? Well, we've got some exciting stuff up for pre-order, uh, including the Amazons for Blood Bowl. So the Carrot Temple Harpies are up for pre-order. The Carrot Temple Harpies are up for pre-order which is the uh, the all-female Amazon Blood Bowl team, and they look glorious. These are £31.50 and are very colourful from the, uh, the the pictures on uh, What My Community. I absolutely want to do a, 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 a team of these and play some Blood Bowl and smash those north that you've definitely painted, Dave. Um, we've also got Spike issue 15. £10 contains the rules for the Amazons. You don't need it because the, the rules do come in the boxes, but it also has a load of lore and fun stuff and interviews. And think of an in-universe um, kind of match magazine that you'd get, uh, an actual Blood Bowl match, and that's kind of what Spike is, which is a bit surreal, but really, really cool. And then, like, with all the other Blood Bowl teams, we've got cards, we've got dice, and a really nice, like, Aztec-themed pitch as well. Uh, the pitch is £30, the dice are £17.50, 
No, but the cards are £17.50 and the dice are £12.50. Uh, there's also an assortment of star players as well, all of which have comedy names, which is brilliant. So we've got Boa Constrictor, who's a big snake guy <laughs> with a ball with feathers in his hair. He's cool. We've got Estelle Lovenu, who is um, a mad woman with a load of frogs, because, you know, why not? Um, I kind of like the hypno frog sitting on her shoulder. And then we've got the hilariously named Glottal Stop, who is a... Um, a Croxigore, and he looks awesome too. Um, I really like that they are now releasing the star players alongside the team. That seems a way better release kind of strategy than here's the team, and then six months down the line, you might get your star player. Mm. Yeah. So, so if you want to go all in, you can do. Um, now, cast your minds back to last year when Warhammer Quest Cursed City came out. Um, and then it, it, it kind of then disappeared from the shelves. and It was all a bit quiet and nobody knew kind of what had happened. Well, don't worry, because Curse City is back. And I assume permanently on the shelves again. Uh, Curse City is an amazing game with some amazing miniatures in it. Uh, this is back up for pre-order. Uh, third parties such as Element Games already have it on sale as well. So if you are itching to get back into Orphan Khan, uh, yeah, you can do it now, which is really, really cool. And alongside that, there is Cursed City Night Wars, the first expansion for Cursed City, um, which contains the rules for continuing your quest and fighting Radical the Beast, Vampire Lord, Lady Annika the Thirsting Blade, Quits of the Rat Prince, and some Fell Bats, and all the cards and stuff that you need, and tiles and all that cool stuff. This is £30. However, there's a big caveat. This does not contain any miniatures which is a really odd decision for me but we'll see we'll see how this goes i uh, kind of thought that if it didn't contain any miniatures the price tag may be a tad lower than 30 pounds now if this was a say 65 pounds or even 70 pounds box expansion with all the miniatures in i'd say yeah that's cool but i think it's about 120 pounds for the miniatures on top of the 30 pound expansion which makes it more expensive than the cursed city box but um, yeah, it looks cool. Um, Curse it is an ace game, and I'm looking forward to playing through it. But uh, yeah, interesting one. I'd love to know why they've not boxed it with the miniatures. I don't know if the logics. Most kind of Grave Lords players are probably going to be Curse City players, and they've already got the miniatures. In which case, it works out cheaper just buying this without having to buy the miniatures again. I don't know. Quick round robin. What are your thoughts on this? Too expensive with no models. <sighs> I think it's worth it if you're into the game and, like you said, you've got some of those models already. But, yeah, if you haven't got those models, it, it's quite a lot. I mean, it depends on what is actually in that pack for 30 quid. You might not need those models necessarily. I mean, you could always use tokens, couldn't you? And that's probably priced like a board game thing. But we'll talk about that more next week. We've also got Warcry, the core book, up for pre-order. You guys have been loving some Warcry. If you haven't picked up the big Heart of Gur box and want to start playing the game, uh, you can buy the core book alone now for £30. I'd argue for £30, you want the scenery and the boards and the cards and some warbands anyway, buy, um, buy um, the, the big box because that's really, really good value. I, I think it's still available. I've, I've certainly seen it in stores. Um, Heart of Gur is such a, such a good value. 
Um, but if you don't want to do that, you know, if you've already got Warband and you've already got Scenery, then you can pick up the new core rulebook for 30 quid. There are differences to the old one as well. And you get some fun like campaign stuff in the back of it too. So it's definitely worth picking up, isn't it, Andy? Yeah, definitely. I mean, when I wasn't to the, um, the event, I turned up at Bookman's Bar about an hour and a half early. Um, and I just spent the, the, the entire time just going through that book and really delving into it. And yeah, I mean, for 30 quid, it's, it's an absolute bar- bargain if you're interested in Warcry. Yeah. So it's it's one of those. If you if you're not interested in the scenery and the models, then go for this. If you want the scenery, I think the scenery and the book alone would cost you the same as the Heart of Gerr box from like Element or somewhere. So at least they've got both options, which is good. They've done this for a few systems now. You've got a range of options of getting into the game. Um, we've also got some stuff for Warhammer Forty Thousand on the way. The latest Space Marine Heroes. This uh, this edition this season, I guess. Um, build six Blood Angels. I don't know if they've got any um, iconography on them. I think they are just in red plastic and you could paint them as any Legion. They look quite cool. There's some cool sculpts here. Like with last year, you can buy just a single one for, I think, like a fiver from Games Workshop. Or you can buy a box of eight for £40, which is guaranteed to get all six models in. And then you can, you know, stick the other two on eBay or convert them or something um and for I, I quite like them the the death guard and the terminators i think have been my favorite one so far are these space brain hero rangers oh the death guard ones were awesome i kind of wish i'd bought the box of all of them in um but as it was i just got i picked up a couple and um, i did manage to get the my favorite which was the the leader and um, he was really cool so uh, yeah, these are uh, these are good, but I, I'm, I'm yeah, the, I prefer the Terminators and the Death Guard rather than these um, more standard tactical Marines because they're not Primaris, are they? They're your firstborn Marines. Yeah, they're just vanilla vanilla space Marines, but they are some nice sculpts. So um, yeah. including the guy launching a rocket, which is pretty ace. We've also got some resin upgrades from Forge World for Warhammer: The Horus Heresy. The World Eaters have got their shoulder pads and helmets. And I will be picking up a couple of blisters of these helmets to make my uh, World Eater Force. That is materialised out of nowhere for Warhammer the Horus Heresy. I, uh, I painted up a, a Leviathan for, for our review and the scheme was like really easy and quick to do. So I'm all in on doing a World Eater's army now. <laughs> so they should be fun. If you prefer Space Wolves, however, their upgrades are also available too. So, are we ready for some news, chaps? Always. So, well, on the theme of the Horus Heresy, we have got some new Death Guard Praetors that were revealed on uh, on Warhammer Community. I've got to say, these guys look pretty tasty, don't they? They look amazing. I mean, when you look at the Terminator one, and you can kind of see that resemblance to like the death shroud terminators in the death guard mm. army i was just like oh my days that's my next army for heresy planned already <laughs> uh, yeah I, I nearly did um uh, yeah especially like they say the cataphractic terminator these are amazing um i love both of them um i think i'm probably gonna not go death guard because um i've actually felt this draw towards my thousand sons for heresy as well as my Dark Angels, so I think they're my two legions I'm going to stay true with. But yeah, I felt a little bit of a 
do I get a death card force? Well, you see, they'd be really easy to paint as well. Um, you've gone for the difficult black one, Dave. But these guys, uh, spray them, I don't know, white or an off-white, and then use, um, I don't know, three or four parts contrast medium to one part skeleton horde, slosh that all over them, and then go in with a dark kind of like recess wash or something. Job done. They, they look they look so nice. I had no intention of doing a Death Guard army, but I might have to just pick up these models to paint them. Uh, I don't think they'd look out of place in a 40k Death Guard army either. No, you, you're absolutely right. So I, if I do pick one up, it'll be the, the Cataphracty um, Terminator one that maybe I could use as a different Death Guard than Terminator Lord. Um, so yeah, we'll see. Wow. We heard the other week, last week, a recent week, about the turmoil in the uh, the ash waste necromunda is it's 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 things are normally bad and they've gone really really bad and there's like uprisings and civil wars and all sorts going on uh, but the escher girls are well equipped for a life out in the ash waste with the new upgrade pack from forge world uh, 10 heads with respirators they've got like breathing canisters they've got breathing apparatus on their backs i really like these i'm going to be putting together some uh, some escher for a uh, our next Necromunda campaign, which is probably going to be the uh, Syndrak burning campaign, so mm-hmm. I might have to pick these up to add some variety to my Escher gang. I'm thinking if I pick up some of the the upcoming jet bikes, they'd probably have some breathing apparatus on them as well. So uh, yeah, there's some fun stuff we can do there. Now, before we started recording, Andy was like, "Oh my God, guys, the Sons of Bayamat Battle Tome cover is so cool!" Uh, yeah. <laughs> Warcom today showed off the contents and the front cover of the new Sons of Bayonet book. And yeah, it looks pretty cool, doesn't it? Yeah, it looks like they're definitely diving into um, the path to glory side of giants because that that looks like it's going to be the majority of the actual battle tome. Um, but I did like the fact that they added the new um, Mega Gargant tribe in there as well, the Smasher tribe. Mm. Um so yeah, I mean, I'm super excited for uh, for a new Sons of Bear McBattertome, and uh, yeah, the the artwork on the front was just absolutely amazing. Yeah, it looks really cool. Interestingly, as well in the in the uh, content, a Man Crusher mob and a Man Crusher Gargan are two separate war scrolls as well. So is it going to be something similar to the uh, the sharks and the Ideneth? We have a war scroll of three of them or something that you just buy as one kind of lump. Well, I think that's how it is at the minute. You can either buy um, a Man Christian mob, which is three of them, um, at a slightly discounted price, or you can buy like the individual one. So um, maybe in two different war scrolls, though, could we have slightly different rules if you buy an individual one compared to three of them? Ooh, I hope so. I, I've got a sneaky suspicion the Man Christian mob will just have um, rule an extra rule for like unit coherency or something on those lines. Ah, uh, maybe, maybe. And, and it'd probably be pretty similar to the actual individual one. But I'm I'm just hoping they get rid of the damage chart for Man Crusher Gargants because twelve wounds with a five up save, you don't need four different wound profiles for it. Yeah, yeah, it's consolidating them easier. I'd really like to see the the lone Man Crusher being a tad more expensive. And have a better profile to give you a bit more variety in list building. Uh, I mean, we've already got what five mega gargants in the book that we know about, plus those two. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to checking this one out because uh, 
well, we both have Mega Gargant armies, don't we? Yeah, and I know Dave's been toying with the Mega Gargants in the past too. I so, think yeah. I'd be, um, I think I'd be more tempted to add one to my already established destruction armies. You already established destruction. Wow, interestingly, there is a specific one one you can take along for a destruction army. Uh, you can take, um, so you can uh, so yeah, so death can take a gatebreaker mega gargant, chaos can take a war stomper, order can take a crack eater, or destruction can take any of the above or the new beast smasher. If you've got some beasts that need smashing, Dave. Yeah, I think that's the one I'd go for, but not anytime soon. But at some point, I'd like one on my shelves. That'd be cool. Or four, because then you can swap them out and then start a mega gun. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's um, how we get you, Dave. That's how we get you. That's how we get you. That's how we get you. Guys, Warhammer Underworlds, we've been in the um the 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 the, the shadowy, watery depths of Orgu for the last season. And I think Jay was very hopeful that meant that we were going into Orgu in the main overarching storyline. But since that game came out, I think things have changed and a lot of the games are consolidating along the same storyline. So as I guess was obvious, really, and we hadn't really thought about it, the next season of Warhammer Underworlds is heading into the Norwood. Would you have thought it? So Age of Sigmar, <laughs> Warcry and Warhammer Underworlds are all in the same adjacent storyline, which I think is really good from a, I don't know, a narrative point of view. It, it, it feels kind of right that all these forces are here at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, it really does allow them to fully explore a realm, doesn't it? Because you can really sort of, you can like you got the deep wood in Warcry, now you've got Narwood in Underworlds, and you've got sort of the overarching story in Age of Sigma. You know they can really go to all these different places in the realm of Gur. So that that it, that is cool. I do like that. Yeah. Well, this I mean for, first for me, these new boards look beautiful. Some of the some of the seasons of Underworlds have been a bit meh, haven't they, with the color scheme? These look really gribbly. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the main attraction really is the two new warbands, though. Cool. So we've got the Gnarl Spirit Pack, who were Dark Oath and they've been kicked out because they worship weird, like, nature spirits. It's like chaos, I don't know, Sylvaneth worshippers or something. Something Ooh. weird going on. It probably is the force of chaos kind of enacting on them, but they. Um, yeah, they they definitely not your average dark oath, and they've got like animal masks and antlers and all sorts of stuff going on. They're pretty cool, but they're not as cool as the sons of Velmorn, who are a um, grave guard unit for Warhammer Underworlds. They used to be, um, I guess, they used to be mortals that lived in the Narwood. Uh, they kept the jungle at bay with fire and steer steel. But the uh, unfortunately they're dead. But you know death isn't the handicap it used to be, and they're back as grave guard and possibly the greatest grave guard models we've seen. Oh, I don't know. I'm I'm still really partial to the old ones. Oh yeah, really? The really? current ones, no, yeah. No. <laughs> no. See, I I grew up playing um, like fantasy was kind of like my first news and air quotes it adult game. Um. And yeah, but I always had a soft spot for the elite stuff, especially in death with the graveguard. And yeah, those plastics will always have a special place. But don't get me wrong, these new Underworld Warband, uh, they do look nice. I, I just like the old ones. Andy, 
Andy, there is a special place for the current graveguard line, <laughs> the bin. Um, I see. I I had funnily enough, actually, it's our anniversary today of me and Matt playing on Warhammer TV, and I actually used um, the Legions of Nagash book of, of what it was back then in in uh, second edition would have been, wouldn't it? Um. And I remember building and painting a unit of Graveguard um, because I like elite sort of troops. I hated building those models. I didn't enjoy painting them. Um, I can't wait for these new ones. <clears throat> they could actually tempt me into a Soulbite army because, you know... So bear, bear in mind, this, is, this of... isn't a new Graveguard unit. No, this is a World Wars Warband. However, we we've seen hopeful. in the past, that's, you know, it could lead to maybe. And you know what? You could get a couple of these boxes and make an, a nicer looking Graveguard mm-hmm. unit, couldn't you? Yeah. We're hopeful, is, is the words hopeful. But what I would say is I would agree that both sets of warbands in this box are really nice. Like sometimes, you know, one may be better than the other. I actually really like both. Um, well, you've um, you've been on about doing a, a Slave to Darkness force, and again, this gives you a little bit of a taster for the more kind of like mortal element to that as well. Yeah, well, I've got my Spire Tyrants to build. These these are like you said, more dark oath or formerly dark oath. Um, so uh, yeah, yeah, they, they look really cool. I like the one with like the wolf mask. I think it's a wolf. Um, very, very cool. Yeah. Uh, so what's cool about this box as well? We, we don't know too much, but it says the rule book's been redone to make it easy for new players to dive in, while also having all the rules for advanced players. That's really cool because we've played, you know, Underworlds in the past, and some of those rule books, there's a bit of flicking back and forth to try and find what you get them for. The big thing for me is that this box contains four rival decks. One for the Null Spirit pack, one for the Sons of Velmorn, and then two additional rival decks that can be used by either of those warbands or any warband out of the entire history of Warhammer Underworlds. That is a big draw. Because in the past, it's yes, in theory, you can use your existing warbands, but there's often new mechanics and stuff that crop up in each season. So by having generic uh, rivals decks that you can use with any warband it means that if you maybe started in the very first edition of underworlds and you've got one of those plastic warbands you can jump straight in just using that rivals deck yeah i mean that's so good yeah but uh, one of the things that always gets me about underworlds is the fact that i yeah if i were to use a season one underworld warband i'm really it's playing on like extremely hard mode but yeah. If they're bringing out a new rival deck that I can use for that, uh, yeah, that's yeah, that's fantastic because it allows me to go back and use some of my older warbands, which yeah, which is always good. And the great thing with them being not one but two rivals decks, presumably they have different playstyles to them, won't they? So you can pick the one that fits. Yeah. You know, are you aggressive force? Are you a defensive force? This uh, you weren't too convinced on the last edition, were you, Dave? But I think this one really does seem. Way yeah, better. I, I really want to try out the rivals decks. We've not yet had chance to to play it. My 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 concern with Underworlds, and and this is probably because we've not played enough of it recently, um, is there are too many keywords and things coming into the game. Too many. The, well, the key the keywords only relate to the cards though. Yeah. So each season has its own. You you you're never going to have like twenty different keywords within a deck. You'd never build a deck with twenty keywords in it. You'd you'd relate rely on like one or two that work together. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. We really need to have a game for me to to be able to fairly judge it. I think. 
Yeah, I mean, I had, I went to Nick Baton's tournament recently and had a whale of a time. Um, so yeah, I think when this drops, guys, we need to get back on the uh, the Underworlds again because it is a really fun game. Now, speaking of celebrations, that was a good segue, wasn't it? On the 8th of October, can you believe it? But Warhammer 40,000 is 35 years old. I think that's older than you, Andy. It is indeed older than me, yep. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, 35 years since Rogue Trader came out back in the glory days. And uh, Kings Workshop are doing a, a special Warhammer Day. I think they did a Warhammer Day last year. I think it's a bit of a regular occurrence, but this one coincides with the birthday of 40k. So they're doing a couple of special things with it. Um, They have got a limited edition 35 years of Warhammer model, uh, Bayard's Revenge, which is an Emperor's Champion really giving an orc knob some help. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen so many gifts about this that um yeah. orcs are finally getting um another model in October. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just it's not another dead orc on a base, is it? And it's like, yes, yes it is. But I uh, I'm when Black Templars got their codex, I was like, Wow, yeah, okay. If I didn't have like ten other projects in the background, then I would definitely jump on them. And looking at this model I I really do want to get it just so I've got it for when I do eventually probably succumb and do a Black Templars army. But, you know, the law of chaos is too strong at the minute. So. I think um, they've done color models before, like dioramas and stuff. This, I mean, I've got no intention to build a Dark Templars, Dark Templars? Black Templars army anytime soon. Or orcs, um, well, you're not going to have the dead orc leading your army, but um, it's just a really nice piece. Uh, I think I'll be getting it just to paint and to put at the centre of my shelf, really. Very nice model. Yeah, and it's, 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 yeah, I think I'll be doing the same. There's a lot of these um, models that are brought out for anniversaries and stuff, they've, they've not necessarily been a gaming piece, but just nice to paint up, which mm. is, I mean, that's fun, isn't it? Uh, but that's not it, guys. There is also a Warhammer 40,000 preview on Saturday, the 8th of October, too. Now, do you know what this covers? I mean, we can guess that we'll probably see the next Kill Team box. We'll probably see the Astra Militarum. We'll probably see the um, World Eaters. Blood for the Blood God. I don't think we'll see anything further in the future than that. Yeah, I don't know. I'd love to see a 10th edition's on the horizon teaser. (laughs) I don't think we'd get it in October. Um, I might be wrong, but I, I think that's probably what we're going to see. The big Astra Militarum show, I'm guessing this will be. And it wouldn't surprise me if they reveal most of the World Eater stuff as well. Um, yeah, looking forward to this one. They've also got in conjunction with this a bit of a celebration. Hashtag 35 years of 40K. And what they want is people to paint up models to celebrate 35 years of 140,000. So, for example go into your collection and dig out an original Rogue Trader or second edition model and paint it up. Or paint up a Space Marine Intercessor with a red bolter and goblin green base. Or just your favourite model and share it with a hashtag. You know, you've been painting up some old um, Astro Militarum models, Dave, so you absolutely should be putting those well, on the internet with the 35 years of 40k you, hashtag. Uh, yeah, as you, as you were saying that, I've, I've currently got in my hand my um, what would have been a junior officer back in the day 
who I remember back in whatever edition, uh, the Battle for McCrag era, when that box came out, um, slaying Terminators, this, this guardsman was. Um, and I've, I've recently painted it. I'm really actually happy with them. So, yeah, I might be painting. I've got some more metal guardsman models as well that I'll have to paint up. Well, share them with the 35 years of 40k. I suspect they'll probably be picking some to put on this stream because I'm guessing that's that's normally what they kind of do and they're looking for it using this hashtag. So, so yeah, that seems super, super exciting. You know what's also exciting? Events. And today, um, a load of new events have been announced for Warhammer World, taking us through into next year. So on the 14th of January... We've got a Warhammer Underworlds one-day mini-clash. That sounds quite fun, especially for, you know, maybe leaning into the new edition of Warhammer Underworlds and want it in a nice, fun environment. The following day, on the 15th of January, there's also a one-day Aeronorsica Imperialis tournament. That's nice. So that'd be really cool. Yeah. Yeah. On the 21st and the 22nd of January, Depths of the Tomb, part two of the Rising Tomb Crusade event, um, this continues the story from the crusade event that me and Andy went to earlier in the year. And the explorers were using Necron artifacts and unleashing archaeotech and all sorts of cool stuff. Um, I know the events team have been putting together some cool Necron themed scenery for this one as well. I believe, I believe that um, attendees of the last one get a little bit of a sneaky early access to these tickets as well. So that's exciting. Um, and then the following weekend, on the 28th and 29th of January, we've got the pinnacle of, um, of events. So I say that the, the Crusade event did come very close to it, but we've we've tried to go to as many as we can. The Throne of Skulls doubles. You and a friend oh. will each bring a thousand points of an army and do battle against other armies. There's no conditions on what half of Grand Alliance you can be. If you want to do a Chaos slash Stormcast Force, that is fine. Uh, they are really, really good fun. Very, very wacky. Uh, the scoring is thrown a school, so your actual gaming only accounts for half of the score, the rest of it going down to painting and sportsmanship. So everybody who's got a chance of winning, highly recommend going to it if you haven't done one before. Do you know, the Throne of Schools uh, Age of Sigmar doubles, it, has a, it will forever have a special place in my heart because <laughs> that was my very first Warhammer tournament. Teamed up with you, Matt. Um, mm. Legions of Nagash with the Tamerkin's Horde. Yeah, it was um it was so cool. Um, well it sounds to me we need to we need to do the um anniversary edition. Yeah, we should. We should. It'd be so much fun. I got a so, question for you, Dave. Do you have faith? <laughs> <laughs> of course. Um no, I don't. I never have faith. Um we saw how far that got us when, because me and you teamed up for the last one, didn't we, Andy? Yeah. We, I went to anyway. We had, uh, what was it, Ogres and Stormcast? Ogres and Stormcast, that unlike uh, Alliance. Yeah. Days. We, we did not do fun, well. <laughs> we did have some fun, yeah. So, yeah, so they, they are all up uh, to purchase on, I want to say, the 3rd of October. Let me get that straight for you guys. Um, The 3rd of October. 7 p.m. I want to say they normally go on sale. It doesn't actually say on on Warcom, but um, yeah, try around then. It's normally around about the time the podcast starts recording, isn't it? That those go on sale. Yeah. So uh, if you want any of them, make sure you they're refreshing because they do go super quickly. Uh, they are very very popular events, but they're awesome too. And that is this week's news. Excellent stuff. 
Um, so with that, I think we should prepare ourselves to go into our main segment this week, of which is a brand new battle tome. It's Disciples of Zeech. It's coming up next. So Matt, you have the latest battle tome for Warhammer Age of Sigmar. I do indeed. Hot on the heels of the recent battle box, Arcane Cataclysm, we finally got the Disciples of Zeech book. I suspect this one has been lost in the warp for a little while. Um, the book's dated July 2022, so I suspect that both this and the Lumineth book were meant to come out um, a couple of months ago. Well, unfortunately, there's been all sorts going on, hasn't there, in the world that's that's delayed things. And I reckon the, the, the ramp up of releases that we've seen in the last half of the year is probably due to the fact that some of this has started to slip. So hopefully that means going to next year, we're all caught up, which is really, really cool. Uh, so first of all, this isn't a massive change from the previous battle tome. If you've got a Zinch army already, this is mostly going to work how your existing army works. And nothing has changed a single point. I suspect the points in the recent uh, General's Handbook were for this book. So current Zinch players are actually playing them with maybe some of the rules missing that are actually unlocked in this book. So, again, if you've got a Zinch army, that army will work and it'll be the same points. Cool. We get a decent lore section to start off the book, like we do in all the recent uh, AOS battle tomes. What's good about the, the third edition books is that each of them have kind of dug into the um, the era of the beast, haven't they, and, and told us what's happened between uh, Kragnos's attack and the, and the current timeline. So for Zinch, we learn that um, they've been infiltrating the Dawnbringer Crusade. Zinch, um, he's, you know, he, he doesn't leave anything to chance, does he? He likes to have fingers in all of the pies, and he's got cultists in, uh, infiltrating all of these different uh, cities of Sigmar and, and people of his own heading out on the Dawnbringer Crusades and he's just subtly pulling the strings and altering fate so there's a story in here about a, a Dawnbringer Crusade that's heading to this this site to, I think they're trying to get a relic or something and, and Zinch manipulates this and actually sends them into Lumineth territory which sparks a war between the cities of Sigmar and the Lumineth which is obviously going to you know help Zinch in the long run, because those forces start like thinning each other's ranks with this uh, inadvertent war. So that's really cool. I like seeing those little glimpses of things. Um, you picked up the Skaven book recently, didn't you, Dave? Did that kind of dip into what's happened since Kragnos? A little bit, yeah, yeah, it does. That's cool. So I'm, I'm glad because it's very in the past. A lot of the books, but Jay certainly has had a criticism where you only really see the kind of the stuff that continues the lore in the big like narrative supplements. So it's really nice to see them in the uh, in the battle tomes too. Um, like with other recent books, we get a full painting guide. Unfortunately, this is the same painting guide that's in the previous book, so there's nothing massively new there. Um, but it is handy for people who are maybe, you know, new to Zinch and want to learn how to play them. But the exciting stuff that everyone wants to know about is what has changed in the book. And while a lot is the same, there is some cool new stuff in here. So we still have a summoning mechanic using fate points. So every time a spell, friend or foe, is cast and not unbound, you get a fate point. Once you've accrued a number of fate points, at the end of your movement phase, you can summon a uh, a unit from a list 
more than nine inches away from enemy units and within nine inches of his each hero. The 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 the, the costs you know differ from ten points or buy you ten blue horrors, ten brimstone horrors, or three screamers of each. Uh, 20 could get you 10 pink horrors, 30 could get you a lot of change, and loads of stuff in between. So it's really on like how many points do you want to save. You can have a lot of casters in a Zinch army, so it's not difficult to accrue points, but sometimes is it worth saving up for that lot of change when actually a unit of 10 horrors and an objective might swing that for you and win the game? So it gives you a lot of a lot of utility in what you can do, which I really like. So that, that hasn't changed at all. We also get the Locus of Change as well, which gives you a little bit of protection in melee. So Zinch Demons are within 12 inches of a Zinch Demon Hero and minus one to hit in melee, which is super frustrating. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it means that you're... It, it, and obviously, stuff like um, Lord of Change is a Zinch Demon within 12 inches of a Demon Hero, so he himself will be minus one to hit in combat as well, which is really, really cool. So... That really helps kind of like mitigate some of the damage on you. Another main mechanic that still exists is the Master of Destiny. This is your destiny dice. At the start of the game, you roll nine dice and they're put onto one side. Instead of making a, a roll, and these are casting rolls, unbinding rolls, dispelling, run, charge, hit, wound, save, battle shock, or any roll that determines damage, you can use one of those dice off your kind of sideboard. And, and that is the result of the roll. For saves, it specifies that you still have to modify the result. So if, I don't know, you've got a four plus save and it's minus two rend, you still would have to pick a six off your sideboard in order to, to make that save. So all the normal modifiers still apply. But um, yeah, you can't use them on any other dice. So say if there's an ability on your war scroll that said on a four plus something happens, you can't use a destiny dice to influence that roll. Now, there are ways of changing Destiny Dice, and there are ways of accruing more Destiny Dice over the course of the game. So uh, it's a really cool little mechanic. Um, There's also other things in this book that might make you think about your Destiny Dice as well, which we'll get to in a bit. So that's all pretty much the same. You still get a change coven as well. Those have changed a little bit, but basically these are your chapters, for want of a better word. Different cults that have different like special rules that apply to them. What's good in this um, edition is that all the kind of uh, relics and command traits and stuff are no longer locked behind different courts. So really the court just gives you another army-wide rule that you unlock. So, for example, the Eternal Conflagration gives, uh, increases your when The Eternal Conflagration improves your rend on all your warp flame, billowing warp flame and magical flame missiles weapons so all your your flamers and stuff get additional rend which is cool the host duplicitous if you've got a unit with 10 or more models enemy units cannot retreat from you so that's pretty cool and in addition once per battle when a unit of horrors dies on a four plus you get to set up five more horrors because you know getting rid of horrors isn't annoying already get some more in there that is only once per game but again that's pretty cool the host arcana haven't really changed. In the first, third, and fifth battle round, they can automatically unbind a spell without having to make a roll. So, so Teclas casts something on his stupid, you know, I count as being a 12. They get to unbind it straight off. No problems. The Cult of the Transient Form, a, a, a weird one. Basically, Karak Acolytes, when they're killed, you roll the dice. On a two to five, they can fight before they're removed. On a six, 
they can become a Zangor and get added to a friendly Zangor unit, which is pretty cool. The Pyrothane cult are kind of built around Kyric Acolytes. They're better at shooting than normal. And then any enemy unit that suffers a wound from them on a 5 plus suffers D3 mortal wounds on top. So that's yep. pretty cool if you want to lean into your shooting. And then finally, we've got my favourite one, the Guild of Summoners. So this was in the previous book, but it's changed a little bit in this one. Basically, the Guild of Summoners can only summon one thing, and that one thing is Lords of Change. The first Lord of Change that you summon costs you nine fate points, a bargain. The second and every additional Lord of Change that you summon costs you 18 fate points. It is very easy to get 18 fate points in this book, especially if you've summoned a Lord of Change turn one for nine and you're playing a magical heavy army. You could potentially summon three or four Lords of Change over the course of the game. Yeah, I mean, it it, it depends on what your opponent's bringing as well, doesn't it? If they're bringing a lot of wizards, then again, that's just ramping up your fate points as well. I mean, I think you're definitely going to be able to get that nine point Lord of Change pretty easily. I think you'll probably end up getting two Lords of Change out of this over the course of a game, especially if the game starts to go badly and start to lose wizards, wizards and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but this is one of those ways of getting in a Lord of Change into your army without having to necessarily pay that, that uh, I don't want to use, I'm using air quotes here, tax of paying points for a Lord of Change because you can probably get like, two or three wizards for probably the same cost as a Lord of Change. So that's really yeah, cool. A Lord of Change is 400 points. I'd say most players will be able to get two. I, I reckon with certain builds, you can get three or four of them by the end of the game, which is, is awesome. Um, so that's cool. One new thing that's been added to the army, though, is the Arcane Armies rule. So if you've purchased one of the Zinch Endless Spells, so the Burning Sigil, the Tome of Eyes, or the Demonic Simulacrum, once you've determined who's going first, and once you've got your command points, before the first turn actually starts, you pick one wizard, he automatically casts one of those Endless Spells. It can't be it can't be unbound. Um, it just automatically goes down. And it cannot be dispelled turn one either. So it, your, your opponent cannot get rid of it until turn two. That is really, really cool. And don't forget, that is a spell that's been successfully cast. So you get a fate point at the start of the game for that as well. Oh, nice. As you start accruing your magical power. So that's really, really fun. And obviously, you need to purchase it as part of the list. And we'll have a look at what they do in a little bit. But um, there's there's one that I think I would go for every time myself. So, So that's really cool. We get some command traits. I'm not going to go into these too much because it's all in the written review, but it's been simplified. There's now traits for Arcanites, which are your kind of mortal heroes, and there's traits for your demons, who are your demon heroes. Um, again, none of this is locked behind which culture in. You're just free to pick and choose. There's some really fun stuff in there. So um, Wizard knows two extra spells, or any unmodified six does a mortal wound in addition to any other damage, or if your casting roll is a double, it cannot be unbound and you gain two fate points. Already you can see how you could be accruing a lot of fate points here. Uh, for the demons, there's the demon spark. So once per battle, you use the demon spark, you just gain three fate points straight away off the bat. Hmm. So 
considering you start with one anyway, if you've taken an endless spell, you could use that turn one. You're on four. You only need to cast five spells and you've got a lot of change in turn one. Wow. That so, is yeah, good. Pretty cool. Uh, there's artifacts as well for both of those. Again, I'm not going to go too far into them. There's also spell laws for the mortals and spell laws for the demons. They haven't really changed. There's a few little tweaks here or there. So Shield of Fate is now based on the number of um, destiny dice you've got left. There's like a, 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 a kind of a, a row of different abilities that can activate. So if you've got one and three destiny dice, you get a six plus ward save. Four and six are five plus ward save. Or seven to nine, you get a five plus ward save. And you can ignore spells when the spells on a four plus on a chosen unit. So that's pretty cool. Glimpse the future on a seven gives you additional fate dice if you've got more. Sorry, additional destiny dice if you've got more than uh, less than nine dice. There's lots of cool ways of, of, of kind of bringing stuff back. Fold reality is a really nice spell. Goes off on a seven. Um, you pick a each unit, you roll a dice, it gains that many models back. So if you've got a big unit of, I don't know, um screamers for example and you had a unit of six and there's only one left you get the spell off you manage to roll a five five models get returned to the unit and it's back up to full strength again that's pretty cool so there's some there's some cool stuff there's lots of magic stuff that you can do um obviously you're gonna if you build your army heavy into magic you're going to um, start running out of spells to cast. And that's probably the only the only downside to going super magic heavy. You probably want to take some endless spells to start kind of farming that stuff. So let's have a look at the War Scrolls first. Just, I'm not going to go through everything, but just some of the big changes. Um, Kairos and the Laws of Change have changed quite a bit. Kairos has got two more wounds now, and he is now essentially a souped-up Lord of Change. Previously, he had a different spell. They've both got the same spell now, Infernal Gateway, which is basically pick a unit, roll nine dice, and then you've got a degrading profile. Uh, starts off on a three plus. For each one that you get, they suffer a mortal wound. So that's really cool. But the Lord of Change and Kairos Fate Weaver both share that same ability. So for for casting unique spells, that's something you want to think about if you're going, yeah, I'll take Kairos and three Lords of Change, because you're probably going to run out of spells that you can cast with them. Um, he used to have an ability once per game when he's making a dice roll he can just go that's a six or that's a two or basically he just picks the result of the dice that's gone now instead at the start of the hero phase if you've got less than nine destiny dice you gain a new destiny dice arguably that's better because yeah. over the course of the game you can kind of farm more destiny dice obviously i've got the cool like huh i rolled a three mechanic but I guess the logic is you're going to have the dice that you want on your kind of like sideboard of destiny dice anyway. Yeah, I, I think that's more fair. I mean, in previous iterations, um, when deadly terrain was, um, if you rolled a one, a, a charging model died. I remember, um, I, I shouldn't admit this, but back in my competitive days, <laughs> um, I had uh, Kairos Fate Weaver in a piece of uh, deadly terrain and someone charged me with a uh, Frost Lord on Stonehorn and you could change that result to a one so it just automatically killed his, his Frost Lord on Stonehorn. So I'm I'm glad. I mean, you can't do that anyway because deadly rules have changed now. But yeah, I think that's a, it's a much fairer way of doing it. You know, I, and that for me is is good. It's a good indication of the battle tome if they're definitely thinking about the 
sort of the fairness of the game so yeah, yeah and the interactions that. outside of the book as well so and speaking of that previously Kairos knew I forget the range but he knew the spells of every wizard within range of him that is now gone instead all lords of change now have an 18 inch plus one to cast and bind and uh, dispel for each wizard and all lords of change including Kairos know the entirety of the law of change so that is it's, it's arguably a nerf for him because he used to know a lot more spells but again i think it's fairer there's some weird interactions with being able to know other people's spells isn't there yeah especially yeah. on a powerful caster now we'll get into the, there are ways of doing that in this book but on a powerful caster that can really mess up the uh the, the game in addition both lords of change have mastery of magic so when they roll their casting uh dice the the lowest dice automatically matches the highest dice so if you rolled a five and a one for example and you needed a seven to go off ordinarily that'd be you you failed the spell however the one turns into a five and you've actually rolled a ten yeah it's so so good it makes it on average you're going to cast your spell really unless you roll really badly and even then you've got destiny dice haven't you if you've got what to do (laughs) when i used to play my zinch that was always um one of those especially now that you've got that innate plus one to cast you know you can throw a, a four into your casting roll then roll the other dice and if you roll anything less than a four you've still cast that spell on a nine exactly yeah. so yeah I, I the one thing i do want to know and i think you did mention it in the written review was how many spells can a lord of change cast so a lord of change knows and can cast two uh kairos ah. knows and can cast three okay that that's my only niggle of the lord of change it was in the past he he could only cast two spells but when you consider the fact that he's got that he can change the dice to to the lowest to the highest then you can sort of understand why because those nine plus to cast spells are actually kind of like a four plus to cast spell yeah exactly and uh, they, they both they both sorry the lord of change can cast two the Karas can cast three but they both know the entire lord of change so between two of them you, you're pretty much casting the entire law anyway yeah so yeah you're probably going to get your spells off now what most people will be bringing Kairos or a lord of change for and again they've both got this rule is spell thief now andy outside of the incarnate What's and it's been adjusted recently in the uh, the recent FAQ. But what's probably the most powerful single model you could bring to a game at the minute? Oh, now you've put me under pressure. The magic, single magic, most thinking magical, an endless spell maybe. Oh, purple sun. There purple you go. Sun, purple sun, well, <laughs> you do not have to worry about purple suns if you've got a Lord of Change or Kairos Fate Weaver on the board. If this unit successfully dispels an endless spell, instead of dispelling it, you say the wizard will steal it. If you do so. The wizard gains control of the endless spell and counts that he's summoned it until it's dispelled. Huh. Bear in mind that um, that when he unbinds, dispels or casts, the lowest dice becomes the highest one, and it's plus one. You're probably um, you're probably dispelling those endless spells. So in my know? head, yep. just trying to go through it, I would assume that you attempt to dispel it as you would a normal endless spell. But instead of removing it from the tabletop, you gain control of it. Yep, that is now your purple sun. Provided that your wizard hasn't already 
got control of an endless spell because then you would have to choose. That's right, yep. And then you take control of the purple sun and then in your like next turn or whatever, you get to move it. That's really good. It's really, really good. <laughs> you do not want to cast any endless spells anywhere near a Lord of Change or Kairos because they will throw it back in your face. Yeah. I mean, bear in mind, that is any endless spell. So any army specific endless spells, they'd also take control of, assuming they've got the keywords to interact with it. But some yeah. of those ones do have stuff they could do, even if you weren't that same keyword. That's really interesting. That There's definitely going to be some strange interactions with some endless spells. But for the most part, especially with like a predatory endless spell, that's really, really good. I mean, even using an endless spell just to move and and sort of block off a charge or something like that can be game changing. So, yeah, I think used in the right way. I mean, if you're casting an endless spell against the disciples of each army with Lord Change, you got to be so careful. <laughs> you got to be super careful because that could be, yeah, cataclysmic when back out, yeah. So I really love that rule. I think that's my favourite one. Um, we'll run through some of the other changes. Chaos spawns are now better. If a spell goes off within nine inches of them, they heal all my wounds, which is a haste. Uh, also, they've got 2d6 attacks. Any hit of a six is mortal wound, and the sequence ends. That's there's good. quite a few ways of turning enemy models into chaos spawns too. So that's pretty cool. That's one of my new, one of my favourite things um, is that ability to. Uh... To, to turn people into chaos spawns yeah it's really fun um the flux master is a really old model it's i think it's resin one now and he looks a bit rubbish compared to some of the more recent models but he's now really good as well so um blue uh, the arcane tomes changed a little bit so it previously i forget what it did i think it gave you a a re-roll for your, your cast but now you can re-roll a single dice and you cast in and you get to add three to the result as well. So pretty much a, I want the spell off, please, kind of roll. Yeah, I think um, it used to be you get to roll an extra dice when you're casting a spell once per game. So that getting that guaranteed plus three, I, I would say that's probably better than it was. I used to use it to try and cast like um, a bolt of zinch, which I think was on like an eight or a nine. And the amount of times you you'd roll those three dice and it came up less than a five. It was heartbreaking. Yeah, so so you, you get a re-roll and you add the three on top. It's pretty good. So you can see how the spell's gone off first before you commit to using it as well. Uh, what you take the Flux Master for, though, is Blue Fire of Zinch. So this is completely different to what it used to do. Well, I say completely different. You pick a target with an 18. It goes off an eight, which, again, for Zinch is fairly easy to do. You roll nine dice. For each five plus, the target suffers a mortal wound and you gain a fate point. Oh, wow. So let's let's rewind. So we, we, we're going to do the Guild of Summoners. We've taken the Demon Spark. We get a free endless spell at the start of the game. Awesome, that's a fate point. We use the Demon Spark turn one. We're on four fate points. The Flux Master casts the Blue Fire of Zinch. We're on uh, five fate points. On average, he's going to get three five pluses from that roll. You're on eight fate points already and can very nearly summon a lord of change by casting one spell if he gets lucky he could get nine fate points plus the point for actually casting the spell and get 10 fate points in a single spell admittedly that's unlikely but it could happen 
Yeah, I mean, like you said, realistically on nine dice, you're rolling three five ups. So that's three fake points plus the plus three the from your. Yeah, plus, plus the one for casting the spell, so that's four. Plus your yeah. one at the start. It's it's so easy to gain fate points now. It's crazy. And obviously, people know that. They'll just target the Flux Master. He's you know, got six wounds and a four plus save. He's quite fragile. But I think it's all about a magical alpha strike, if that makes sense. Generate as many fate points as you can turn one and then summon in anything that gets killed. Yeah, I, I used to use my... Um... Disciples of Zinches, especially the wizards, is almost like a, a surgical strike. Like in terms of the, the damage that you can do with spells, typically you're not going to do enough damage to wipe out big hordes of infantry. But if you can pick on those five and six wound characters that are supporting those big blocks, then all of a sudden, you know, you can, you can start to pick apart the opponent's armies. And like looking at the Lord of Change, especially with that, um, was it Infernal Gateway, the uh, unique spell for Lord yeah, of Change? Yeah, Infernal Gateway, yeah. Yeah, the, the nine dice doing mortal wounds on on three ups. You know, you you stew that through an umbral spell portal, and you should on average kill a five wound hero. Yeah, so, I mean, if, if the Flux Master rolls above average, he's probably done the same as well. Yeah. Oh dear, I might have to. Um, Get my disciples of Zinch army back out now. <laughs> <laughs> so, and again, I'm really going kind to of talk about the one that I've really changed. And in the review, I've gone over every unit, but with this, it'd be like hours long, and Andy would have spent hundreds of pounds <laughs> on the virtual website by the end of it. Uh, so, the blue scribes have changed a little bit. Um, they still get to cast on a two plus. They, they know every spell in the book, and instead of making a spell roll, they just roll the dice on a two plus. That spell goes off and can't be unbound. That's really, really good. Um, in addition, and again, this is a bit situational because it only works against enemy wizards. But if they're in nine inches of an enemy wizard, when they cast a spell on a three plus, you get an additional fate point. So if you're playing against like Lumineth or something, he could farm quite a few fate points to summon in other units. Again, fighting corner something, though, it's a useless ability because it doesn't affect your own ones. I kind of would have liked that to trigger off both yours and your opponent but i guess if it triggered off yours there's there's some potential shenanigans there for something like a dozen lord of changes over the battle isn't there yeah so i, I get why so he's a bit of a gamble um horrors have their updated war scroll from warcom Um this hasn't changed at all basically horrors that are removed don't count as slain so they don't count for battle shock but equally any rules that return slain models back to units also don't work basically means that pinks when they split are never coming back which is probably yeah. changed there was some shenanigans with that in the past wasn't there yeah especially yeah. when they brought in rally in um third edition at beginning of third edition rally on pink horrors potentially it was just game breaking because you could just rally a couple of pink horrors then they die and come back as blues and you had an almost endless supply of pink horrors i mean my big concern with them is that um, is a host duplicitous where you can't retreat from a unit that has 10 or more models. Yeah. Um, I still look at pink horrors and I think if you could take a big unit of 20 pink horrors, shove them in your opponent's face, those 20 pink horrors die, turn into 40 blues, which then turn into 40 brimstones that you can't run away from. I That's still like insanely powerful so yeah. i would i would, 
Pink Horrors are always one of those that they've, I think this is like the third or fourth iteration of Pink Horrors since Age Sigmar came out. And it always feels to me like there's a little bit of a, a missed opportunity, especially with the split and split again. And, um, the, oh, I can't remember what it's called when they die, they do mortal wounds. Petty, uh, petty, petty vengeance. There yeah. You go, yeah. I, I always look at those two abilities and I'm like, pink horrors with petty vengeance for me don't feel like they're worth 250 points they're probably worth about 130 if that no you're right and and, and, and equally the like you say that it's 500 points for that big unit of 20 pink horrors but in the host of blissitus your 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 opponent army is stuck they yeah stuck in combat there especially if you've got other nasty stuff like you know purple suns or incarnates or horrific stuff nearby that can make sure that whatever stuck in with them is having a really bad day too. Yeah, I, I think it would have been cool if it was you roll a dice and on a four up you can retreat. So then there's kind of that maybe you can, maybe you can't, but just, you know, when it says 10 models and you look at pink horrors, they're not really 10 models. 10 pink horrors is effectively what? 20 uh, blue horrors plus 20 brimstone horrors. It's 50 models really, Yeah, isn't it? 50 models, yeah. So, so yeah, so the, the, I, I do think that's the best incarnation we've had of them. Um, I was kind of thinking we might see another one, but I guess, yeah, that that war scroll was introduced around about the time the book was meant to come out. I think. Yeah. Um, the Gaunt Summoner is another one that's changed quite a bit. So previously, the Gaunt Summoner could summon in a unit into the battlefield. I used him to great effect in the game against Dave on Warhammer TV. Where he summoned uh, some <laughs> Furies who were really annoying and like jumped on objectives and stuff. Uh, that's gone now. So instead, he's essentially a, a drop pod. At the start of the battle, you can pick two units that aren't a monster, so you can't stick Lords of Change in there, and say that those units will be in a silver tower. They can deploy at the end of any movement phase, nine inches away from enemy units, and within nine inches of the Gaunt Summoner. I think that's pretty good. Mobility and positioning is everything in AOS, isn't it? So being able to pop two units down, you know, wherever you want, that's pretty cool. Now, obviously, you could just kill the Gaunt Summoner and stop those units from going on. But the Gaunt Summoner has brought some insurance in this edition. So at the end of a phase, he picks an enemy unit that's targeted that unit with either an ability or attack or a spell or a range attack or whatever. As long as it, it... it targeted the Gaunt Summoner and caused any wounds or mortal wounds, even if those wounds were negated. The Gaunt Summoner then rolls 2d6. If the roll is greater than the wounds characteristic of the hero, the hero is removed from play. He's not slain. He's not slain. So any rules that stop you from being slain don't come into effect. The character is still alive, just teleported onto the Silver Tower and no longer has any effect on the battle. That's awesome. So, in theory, (laughs) if Marathi casts a spell at him, he could imprison Marathi in the Silver Tower. Big Marathi's still running around crazy, but um, yeah, I think that's really cool. And it gives it a bit of a gamble to actually try and attack the Gaunt Summoner. Yeah, again, that's one of those. Like, if you look at most heroes, are what, five, six room models? Yeah. So, yeah, that, that's quite interesting. That's a very cool rule. I like that. I like that a lot. It's fun. And you can also take him on his disc now, which you couldn't do in the old book. Uh, a lot of the mortal stuff is pretty much the same. The Magister no longer has an aura that affects friendly units, which is a shame, so he's a little bit worse. The Curseling is a weird one. He's kind of back to a 
kind of like he was in the previous uh, book. Completely different from the war scroll that he had in the battle box. So again, um, he's got a spell, green magic. Uses it on an enemy wizard. Goes off on a four, which is ridiculously easy. You pick a spell from the wizard's war scroll, and on a two plus, you know it for the rest of the battle. Uh. If an enemy wizard casts a spell at you, and he successfully unbinds it, he immediately gets to cast his green magic spell to try and learn that spell as well. That's cool. So yeah, and he can re-roll unbinding and dispelling, so he's going to be more likely to try and get that spell off you too. So... So this is one of those where I look at it and I, I would I wouldn't jump to any conclusions until they bring out the FAQ because they might change its war scroll to how it was in the arcane cataclysm box which was very very different yeah or they might keep it the same I mean like you said this battle tone was probably meant to come out long before uh, it's probably what you say it was July uh, June, July July yeah I mean, they did say on the roadmap it was summer, didn't they? So that would kind of fit with that. So maybe they'll change his war scroll to the Arcane Cataclysm one. We'll just have to wait for the FAQ, really, won't we? Yeah, I think this book was definitely after Arcane Cataclysm. Don't forget those battle boxes are designed as a, as a battle in a box, aren't they? So they do yeah. tweak some rules so the two armies can face each other. It's, I just find it interesting that while the rest of the book loses all the ability to get other people's spells... The cursling keeps it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and there's stuff like Dreaded 13th spell, for example. You're talking about your uh, Vermin Lord. He could, in theory, steal a Dreaded, Dreaded, Dreaded 13th spell off you and then turn one of your Skaven units into a unit of clan rats under the control of the cursling. Mental. <laughs> <laughs> so it's fun, fun, but um, yeah, we'll see how he goes. Um, Fate Master is another good one. Again, really, really old model, but he's now got a nine-inch aura plus one to wound for friendlies inch units. I mean, that is so good. I can't explain how good. I haven't got a Fate Master painted. No, neither have I. I saw a <laughs> review. I was on the I was on the Game Show website seeing if they're in stock, and they weren't, unfortunately. As soon yeah. as they are, I'll be buying one. But I suspect everyone else. It's just, and he's not that expensive either. Fate Master is uh, 145 points for just a nine inch plus one to wound aura, and it's not even a spell. He just needs to be near him, and he's on a disc, so he moves 16 inches. He just seems a no brainer to take with me. Yeah. Now, memory serves. He's not a wizard to start off with, is he? He's not a wizard at all now. No, so you're probably going to want to put Arcane Tome on him just so he's he's got that wizard keyword and he can cast spells as well. But, I mean, I've got um, a load of Flamers painted up um, and I believe their War Scrolls slightly changed now, hasn't it? They're like wounding slightly, on yeah. fours now, aren't they? They are. Now, if only you could get them wounded on threes, Andy, by having a Fate Master stand <laughs> here. Have them in the court where they get plus one rend as well. That sounds yeah. pretty tasty. And if memory serves the battle line in that they court are. as well. Good. Yeah, you can have an army yeah. of just flamers that are now wounded on threes and their extra end. That sounds quite tasty, that, doesn't it? Not that I've got any plans to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so he, it, 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 it's odd, isn't it? The t- pretty much the two old resin models left in the range are now like, really good and worth yeah. picking up. Just to clear those... Um... Fine cast before they do the new plastic one. Well, that's also maybe a maybe a slightly um um what word am I looking for? Dubious person. 
they'd be thinking, hmm, that's odd that these two really old models have got really good rules. Yeah. But hey, I'll go with it. Um, Skyfires are pretty much the same. Um, they still do the, the mortal wound on hits of sixes. What's interesting, guided by the future, they ignore modifiers to hit, modifiers for wound, and the unit they're targeting ignores modifiers to save. So you cannot use all-out defense if you're the target. Well, you can, but you waste the command point. Basically, you, you, you save cannot be positively modified if you're targeted by skyfires which is wow. interesting that that's yeah that's very good i like that yeah um in enlightened yeah they're pretty cool they've still got the really good if you're within three inches of them you can't receive command abilities that's amazing but they're guided by the past is plus one to wound if you go second in the turn seems a bit redundant when you just take a fate master and stand him next to them and the plus one to wound all the time yeah <laughs> So, so that's a little bit odd. Uh, Zangors, they're yeah, pretty much the same. They've cleaned up the war scroll a bit. They are wounding on threes across their entire profile. Take a Fate Master standing next to them, and they're wounding on twos for your battle line unit. Yeah, Zangors were always a bit of a weird one, especially when I started doing Disciples of Zinch. They were one of those units that they should be the hitting power, the combat unit of the Disciples of Zinch. And they never really felt like they hit that hard. Um, and like it was always a bit of a point sink to, to take them. But now looking at their new profile, especially with like the innate plus one to wound, you know, they can they can actually be putting out quite a bit of damage. The only downside is that they don't have a huge amount of rend. So against like, again, using Skaven here, because we all love Skaven, yeah. you know, they will mow down clown rats left right and center but when it comes to those hardy stormcast storm drake dragons they, they might struggle but i yeah i i want some zangors i mean i i had about 30 of them um and then i sold them sort of during lockdown because i i, I didn't think i'd paint them but yeah, yeah no i want some zangors <laughs> there's spells in the book that can put reliable ward save some people personally i'd build them with two savage blades a unit of 10 then gets 30 attacks that's hitting on threes twos with all that attack wounded on threes twos if there's a fate master nearby yes they've got no rend but just volume of attacks you're going to get some wounds through aren't you yeah especially well, running charge as well especially at the minute with like the galatian veterans because it, it allows the um 32 mil bases to effectively fight in two ranks yeah. so th- these guys are super solid at the minute yeah i read them two wounds each five plus save yeah they're they're, they're pretty bow um carrick acolytes are a weird one they've gone back to how they were before they updated we we, we both commented on the the show where we reviewed that box where it was interesting that the carrick acolytes weren't wizards anymore and a lot of their rules have changed well they're wizards again and they're pretty much how they used to be <laughs> um they, you know they're all right they're, they're, they're not quite as feisty as the zangors they're wounding on threes across the board which again Makes them pretty good, um, especially with the sorceress bolts as well. If you take them in the cult, which makes shooting from Carrick Acolytes better, they're, you know, a unit of 10, you get 10 attacks, hitting on threes, wounded on threes, no rend, but every unit wounded takes D3 mortal wounds in addition. It's pretty good. And the spellcasters too, they can all cast the same spell as well, which gives you rend on your sorceress bolt. And again, because they can all cast that same spell, that's a nice fate point generator as well. Yeah, but they're a nice little 
third battle line unit. Like at the minute, I've got um, my Zinchami's been through some changes, especially with lockdown. I got rid of a load of models that I wasn't happy with how I painted them, and I've slowly been sort of building that back up. But at the minute, I've got I've got enough flamers to run battle line in internal configuration. I mean, I've got ten pink horrors. And I'm kind of looking at the acolytes and thinking to myself, well, if I have two units of 10, that fills out some cheap battle line units for the army in that sort of sense. Again, they're, they're pretty good. If you want to lean into that shooting aspect of them, then, yeah, I think you probably want uh, probably like four or five units of 10, just so you can have sort of minimum units going around doing a bunch of little damage and casting loads of spells as well. So, I mean, Guild of Summoners. You have a couple of units of these, you know, you can get three or four spells off there with them, plus all your various heroes, plus the laws of change that you're summoning during the battle. Yeah. You can accrue those fate points quite quickly, especially if you've got shenanigans like the guy who can get potentially up to 10 fate points off a single spell, or the, you know, there's there's lots of shenanigans you can do. The only problem you're going to have is that you're quite fragile, really, aren't you? Yeah, I mean, they are going to fall over. If anything charges them or shoots them, they will fall over. But uh, it it depends on how much you, you get out of them. So yeah, I, I like them. I think they're, this War Scroll is probably the best version of them. Yeah. Um, they they were awful way back when Zinch first came out. And now they are good. They are solid. You know, I, they're I, pretty I do cheap want to too. I think they're 120 points. Yeah, 120 points for 10. Bargain. Yeah, yeah. I, I think for 120 points, I'd happily have a unit or two in my list. Yeah. So the um, the endless spells have also changed a little bit. We'll go to the Burning Sigil. This one's my favourite one. This has had the biggest changes to it. So it's um, it goes down. It's got a range of 18 inches. It has a 9-inch aura around that. Every unit at the end of the movement phase, friend or foe, within that 9-inch aura... On a four plus, it takes D3 mortal wounds. The first model slain by the spell each turn turns into a chaos spawn. <laughs> now, bearing in mind that you can cast this for free at the start of the game with a wizard fairly far up in your deployment zone, you can probably get this close enough to your deployment zone to give your opponent real headaches in that first movement phase, considering you've got, what, 18 inches across, I guess, from the center of it. Um, you know, all those units are getting mortal wounds on a four plus, and the first model killed to turn into a chaos spawn, so that unit's stuck in combat now as well with a chaos spawn. I really like the burning sigil. Yeah, I, I've got I've, the only one I've painted up for my disciples is inches, and I forget the name is the twin headed bird, Lord of the Change. Demonic silly simicarum. Well, that, Andy, we'll, we'll move yeah. to talk about that one next, then. So it goes up on a 7, it's got a range of 12, it's a predatory under a spell. After it's moved, you roll 9 dice for the closest unit, within 6 inches. Each 5 plus does a mortal wound. Against wizards, each 4 plus does a mortal wound. <laughs> That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. And again, um, if you're if you, if you Zinch... And you bring it, that goes off for free turn one, and your opponent can't do anything about it until turn two. So on on average, against a wizard, you're doing four or five mortal wounds on yeah, average. It's, it's killing most support wizards, isn't it? On yeah. Average. And the fact that it's a predatory in your spell, I'm assuming it flies as well. Yep. Yep. So that 
that in itself i could i would happily use that as again like a like i said using disciples as inches are almost like a surgical strike to to pick apart the support characters and and weaken your opponent's units before you sort of engage in in combat and stuff like that yeah i'm looking at that i'm thinking to myself especially against like jay's lumineff oh, can you know? you imagine? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah i think it would pay for its points and then some in that game yeah it is, it is really good then the other spell the tome of eyes this one's had a bit of a revision to how it works now whenever the wizard casts it move this re- reappears within an inch of it where before it was a weird one where they, they counted as like the same model but it was a bit woolly the wording now basically you move it disappears and reappears within an inch of you um while you've got it out you can re-roll casting rolls for it and in addition you learn the parchment curse which is a unique spell uh, it goes off on an eight has a range of 18 you pick an enemy unit you roll a dice on a three plus they suffer d3 mortal wounds and for each mortal wound caused you subtract one from their bravery for the rest of the game Oh, that's interesting. Like all three of these spells are really good, Andy. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Especially with like a, one of the armies I've been playing a lot recently is Sons of Bearmat. You know, reducing their leadership. You know, most mega gargants at the minute are leadership seven, so or bravery seven, I should say. Reducing them potentially by even two points that stops them from getting a heroic heal off. Well, um, well, thinking about it, Andy, you uh, you, you cast the Tomb of Eyes, you catch the, cast the Parchment Curse on those Mega Gargants. You then charge the Mega Gargants with some uh, Enlightened, and they cannot receive commands. Those Mega Gargants run away. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, that is quite funny, actually. Uh, there's definitely some good synergies. I think all three of those spells, yeah, there's generally a good reason to take them. The issue is I don't think you're going to take all three of them because that's a lot of points. It is. Well, so the Burning Sigil's 50, the Demonic Simularum is 60 points, and the Tome of Eyes is 40. The Tome of Eyes is the hardest one because essentially you've got to cast the end of the spell and then you've got to cast the extra spell out of it, haven't you? Yeah, it's definitely uh, one you're going to use Destiny Dice for, I think. It is, yeah. But yeah, that's, they're pretty cool. I like them. So, chaps, we like some Path to Glory, don't we? So we'll quickly run through the Path to Glory stuff. Um, in a Path to Glory, demon units you can't have as part of your order of battle. Instead, um, you, you've got like a, an allotment of demonic units that you can bring. And before the battle, you can go, OK, well, I'll, I'll take some pink horrors for this battle and some screamers. And basically represent your general just summoning them before the battle. Yeah, we had um, that. That was the same as the uh, Maggot Kin as well, and I imagine it's probably going to be the same for the Hedonites and the Blades of Corn when they get their books as well. Yeah, which is really cool. And yet territories, I mean, you're doing all of them. The big one is a Silver Tower. If you find the Silver Tower, you get a free Gaunt Summoner in your order of battle. So again, that's pretty cool. Um, there's also rules for aerial battle. So the entire battlefield is the clouds, and you have to have a path of scenery pieces leading from one side of the board to the other. And that basically represents like mountain tops and stuff that are coming up. Flying units can go wherever they like. Things without the fly keyword have to hop from scenery piece to scenery piece. Basically <laughs> there's a couple of, a couple of like, you know, you have the quest, you have the big centerpiece battle, which take place up in the air. And obviously you're going to have more choke points because you've got less freedom on where to move. It's not a super balanced game by any stretch, but I think it's a fun one to throw in for the uh, the campaigns. Yeah, absolutely. 
my favourite thing about um, about the Zinch Path to Glory, though, is that you can choose to infiltrate a city of Sigmar. And if you do, you can take cities of Sigmar units as allies for your army. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> in a Path to Glory, so this isn't match play. In a Path to Glory, you can say, OK, well, my, my cult has influenced infiltrated this this city so i'm going to take some steam tanks and <laughs> and you know whatever whatever city sigma army you want to bring along as part of your ally allowance that is really cool yeah well, very um it's very gene stealer culty isn't it? it is isn't it yeah so so that's really cool now moving on to the match play stuff um i think uh zinch are in a pretty good play i think zinch are in a pretty good place from match play point of view they've got some grand strategies that are super easy to get so we've got dominate arcane nexus you complete it if you've got a unit of wizards horrors or caracacolites in each quarter of the board i mean that's pretty much your whole army isn't it you've got so many wizards and things with the wizard keywords and you've got preponderance of fate you get this one if you end the game with 27 unspent fate points don't take that one spend your fate points on summoning stuff that seems a silly one to take um realm of magic you get this one if there's two endless spells under your control at the end of the battle easy all the endless spells all the time but the easiest one to get and i think it's possibly the easiest one to get in any book that's come out so far is master of destiny when the battle ends you get the grand strategy if your remaining destiny dice total nine or more so you just keep a five and a four, and then there you go. You've got your own strategy. Awesome. That is, that is so insanely easy to do that I almost feel bad for most other armies. Because Kairos gets a free one every turn as well. Yeah, I mean, like you said, there's the um, Glimpse for Future spell as well. Yeah. So, you know, you can use a one on a hit roll and then try and fish for like a four or five. And then that way you can potentially you just, just go. It then, can't you, for the yeah, you can just bank it. Yeah, that's yeah, that's that's that that would be my go-to one. I, I think uh, yeah, I, same here. If you like that, Andy, you're gonna love the battle tactics. <laughs> so call for change. You can play the battle tactic if you summon a Lord of Change. We use the aforementioned Guild of Summoners. You're pretty much gonna have a Lord of Change turn one. Yeah. Uh, mass conjuration. Slightly harder. You complete it if a wizard successfully casts three spells in a single turn. Kairos is your go-to for that, really. Uh, ninefold dismantlement. Pick an enemy unit that has nine or more models, or an enemy hero monster that's got nine or more wounds. You complete it if that unit's destroyed. Again, pretty easy to do, especially with some of the spells that you were describing earlier, Andy, with just pick them apart with mortal wounds. Uh, reckless abandon. Pick a friendly mortal disciples of each unit. That's more than 18 inches away from enemy units. You complete the battle tactic if they complete a charge. So you could take a unit of Zangor, they can run in charge, or take a Magitron disc 19 inches away. He moves 16 inches. As long as he makes a three-inch charge, he's got that battle tactic. Which you can guarantee with Destiny Dice. Which you can guarantee with Destiny Dice, yeah. Uh, and then Tides of Anarchy, you complete the battle tactic if you gain control of an objective that was controlled by your opponent and you've got nine or more models on it. Again, pretty easy to do. I think out of a lot of the books that have come out for third edition, Zinch have got it really easy in the grand strategies and battle tactic kind of game. Yeah, but 
I was watching um, a YouTube video today, and one of the things that got brought up was whether or not battle tactics should be used in, like, faction-specific ones should be used in, like, match play games and stuff. Because, like you said, all, all six of those are actually very easy to do when I, you can... I mean, I'm not a great player of Age of Sigmar, but I'm fairly confident I could get most, if not all of those, during a game. Plus the grand strategy, if you take oh, that. The grand strategy is a given, isn't it? Yeah, that, that one's a, a given, yeah. But that's super good. I mean, like, looking at, like, Daughters of Cain, if I remember right, three of them are, are quite easy to do, and then the other three are, you're probably not going to take them. But all six of those are good, and are you going to take them? Yeah. You, I, don't, I don't see why you'd use any of the like battle pack ones rather than the ones in the book. Yeah, I mean there might be like some situations which oh, yeah, you know, yeah, 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 it might be slightly easier. In the sense, awesome, love that one. Yeah, yeah, but uh, wow, yeah, I mean, yeah, <laughs> those are those are very easy to do, very simple. Yeah. So so yeah, so not massive changes from the previous book. But obviously brings it up to date with third edition. I think the changes they have made are good. I do fear that they're going to be very easy for them to score those secondaries to the point where really you don't need to worry about them too much. You complete one or two of your primaries and on points you're probably doing quite well, aren't you? Yeah. For me, judging by what we've said about Disciples of Zinch so far, they feel like one of those armies where if you're playing the mission, they can do very well. And I think that's where you're going to get the most out with Disciples of Zinch. If you're playing your battle tactics, if you're capturing objectives, if you're doing X, Y, and Z, if you're, I think if you're trying to kill your opponent's army, then this is probably not how Zinch is going to be best utilised. But I think they're a strong army. I really do. Yep. I, I, I think these are going to be the sleeper hit of this season. I don't think people quite realise quite how strong they are. Um, considering the minimal changes they've had compared to some box. Yeah. I really wish Battle Tactics were around the same in each of the books instead of some being great and some being rubbish. Um, that That's such a shame. Yeah, I mean, this is one for a potential future episode, isn't it, where we can discuss like the stuff that we, we'd like to change in each Sigma. But yeah, there's, there's generally a a good discussion, good debate about whether or not battle tactics from battle terms should should be, you know, put into tournaments and stuff like that. Because yeah, yeah looking at that, that's so easy for the well, Zinch army to get. Z- Zinch with average battle tactics is a completely different story to Zinch with the battle tactics they've got. It it means that you're basically given those those points on a plaster, aren't you? And if you can like you say, if you can play to the mission, there's lots of ways to do that. You've got, you know, the Gaunt someone are keeping units up in the sky, you've got movement 16 discs and stuff ways of shutting down command abilities like you you could be nearly tabled but nearly max out your points couldn't you and maybe yeah, scratch yeah. your opponent yeah but well, forgetting about that as as a book um from what i've read and from obviously you guys talking about it just now it sounds very fluffy like it sounds very zeech controlling destiny dice causing your opponent's characters to turn into chaos spawns <laughs> um 
racking up summoning points, summoning loads of checks. It all sounds very zeech, and I love that. My favourite thing is throwing a purple sun back in somebody's face. My, <laughs> my main takeaway from this book. Yeah, it's just mental. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, so what, we're gone to Andy. They've done such a fantastic job with kind of blending that narrative of a battle term and an army into those match play rules. I mean, you look at like Maggot King with all the disease weapons and disease tokens and the resilience of the army and stuff. I mean, you look at Zinch and this is how Zinch would play. Like, I imagine it would because Zinch aren't the strongest army out there. You know, in a straight up fight, they don't win. But when they're playing trickery you know they're they're quite an intelligent army to play and if you can play them in such a way that you don't necessarily have to table your opponent to do i think you're really going to get a lot a lot out of this army and that feels really like you said dave it feels very zinchy very trickery very you know but then yeah i love it i think they're great what i like as well andy i think a lot of the courts are worth taking which means we should see some different lists. A lot of time people gravitate towards the same ones, but obviously the flamer-based one's really cool with those battle line flamers. You've got the host duplicitous for those big blocks of horrors that you can't escape from. You've got easy summoning for the um, for the laws of change, which again then gives another big monster distraction on the battlefield. Uh, the only one I'm not too keen on is the one that turns Karakakalites into Zangors. Yeah, I think that's a very gimmicky one, isn't it? I think if you're taking big blocks of Zangors and you take a lot of Acolytes to effectively support them, but then it's only on a roll of a six you have the Zangor yeah. back. So it's a bit, mm, okay. And arguably, if you're taking all those Karak Acolytes, you'd be better off taking one that makes their shooting better. Yeah, yeah. The only one that I sort of look at and think is potentially a bit is the one where you can't retreat from 10 or more models because I look at pink horrors and I just think you should have 20 of them in your opponent's face and but this is one of those that with a new battle tome you have the opportunity to change some of these negative things from a previous book and that's um, yeah it's kind of been left out but that's literally my only downside and the only yeah. I think with Zangors or with Acolytes having that, that's perfectly fine because they don't split. But with Pink Horrors, it, it feels a bit mm, a bit too much. I, I think mean, the, the counter to that, though, is how expensive they are. In but so if you think about, it, think about it, Andy, think about it, Dave, though. You take you take 20 of them, uh, 500 points. You take the Gaunt Summoner. They're in the Silver Tower. They're safe. You go first. You bring them down, you guarantee a charge with your destiny dice, you've pinned your entire opponent's army, because you've got enough horrors to do that, pretty much pin their entire army in place, while all your wizards are running around casting spells, getting objectives, getting your secondaries, doing all the shenanigans, and your opponent can do nothing but hack through horrors for the rest of the game. That doesn't seem like a fun experience. Plus, I mean, I haven't seen the summoning chart, but I'm assuming you can summon pink horrors and blue horrors and stuff. Yeah, you can. It's it's 10 summoning points for 10 horrors. I think it's 20 for 10 pink horrors. Okay, so, so it's not... replace those horrors, but not... It's going to take you a couple of turns to do that. It's not like turn yeah. one, you've got a million horrors in your face. The only one where the, the curve's quicker is the Guild of Summoners, but that's because they've got the 
the gimmick, I suppose, if it's only laws of change and yeah, and the curve does go yeah. up each time you summon one. But no, I think I, th- I do think it's a cool book. The, there is potential for shenanigans, and I think we could see some really good like tournament lists from it. But yeah. mm. from a narrative point of view, I'm all about taking some of the Sigma Army boys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, cool. very cool. Especially if you paint them in the same scheme as well. Very, very nice. Yeah. Very good. Um, now, if you enjoyed that segment, Matt has also taken the time to fully write up and do a video review of The Disciples of Zeech. That can be found in the podcast notes, or you can head over to spruceandbrews.com um, to check that out at your leisure. Uh, and our thanks again to Games Workshop for sending us said book for Matt to delve into. Um, and that's the real reason there was nothing in his hobby updates, because he was too busy reading this book. And try to buy each models. <laughs> exactly. Right. Uh, and with that, we will call to end this segment. We're not quite done yet, though. Uh, whilst we are getting towards the end of the episode, we do have our top three coming up next. Now then, it is time for our top three, and we're going to keep it chaos as we pick our top three chaos models from the Grand Alliance for, for Age of Sigma. Um, this is an incredibly difficult top three because there are so many cool chaos models, especially recently. Um, there's been this sort of resurgence in really cool chaos models. Um, I found this very hard, um, but in the end, I've gone big um, because I think they truly are where some of the greatest models are, some of the, those those big centerpiece models. So I'm going to start us off this week um, because um, I figured with you two being a bit more... Well, you're basically Chaos Gods. Um, you might have a bit more of an interesting top three. I'm kind of new to Chaos, so I'm going to go first. So, for my third choice, I have gone for, you could say, a newcomer to the Pantheon. Because I have gone for the Screaming Bell from Skaven. Um, I know it's not great with the current rules, but there was no doubt that this was going to be one of the first Skaven models I built and painted. Um, and it's the one I've spent the most time on so far. Um, even though, I mean, it came out decades ago, I think this is still an iconic and really cool-looking centrepiece for any Skaven army. So I've gone for the Screaming Bell as my third choice, a classic. For my second choice, we've gone completely the other way. So we've gone from a classic to a relatively new model uh, although the, the rate time's going it's probably not really new, that new anymore <laughs> uh, I have gone for Bellacor Bellacor so um, this guy's just I mean everything about him, his base is, is the size of him, his wings his rules, he is epic and the fact that um, he works in both systems as well is just even better Um yeah, an absolutely superb model. Um, I'll have to add it to my collection at some point, especially if I delve deeper into the Slaves to Darkness general chaos vibes. But it's not the number one chaos model I want to buy. Regardless of... Because I keep like jumping between, like, do I go from uh, Maggot Kid and Slaves or do I go from Zeech and Slaves? Um, regardless of whichever of those I go for, there is one model that I have to own, uh, even if he did do me the dirty a few years ago, and that <laughs> is Archeon. 
So um, I, I've played against Matt Zarkion countless times. He does my head in, but I still would really love my own Archeon uh, on my hobby shelf, leading a Chaos Army. Uh, and one day that will happen. I don't know if it's going to be Nurgle inspired or Zeech inspired, but at some point in the near future, I'm going to have to buy him. Uh, let's go to Andy next with your top three, sir. So my top three, I deliberately kept it out of Zinch because we've been talking about Zinch all, all evening. Um, I think this was one of the hardest top three I've ever had to do because Cor- uh, Corn, Chaos has such a cool model range that is yeah. Uh, like you've got the four different gods that are all really flavoursome. You've got Skaven, you've got Beast. Like you say, you've got Slaves to Darkness that are uh, uh, definitely feeling a lot more unique and very tribal now, which is great to see. Um, my third choice has to be the Pretty Prince himself. And I love I, I love Chaos, and Slanesh is definitely one of those that I really want to buy more stuff but my third choice has to be Sigvald. Good choice. Because he is he's one of those beautiful models. Like We talked about the Black Templar killing the orc at the beginning of the show. Sigvald is kind of that level of model for me. He is, even though he's only small, he's not horrendously big, he is a standout centerpiece almost model. And I think with a nice paint job, like l- looking at yours, Matt, that you did, you know, w- with a, a gorgeous paint job, he is such a nice model. And looking at him, I'm I'm a big fan of these models that cost a, a, a decent amount of points. They look good and they fit a theme. And Sigvold, yeah, coming in strong at my third choice. My second choice is a unit that I've I've only painted five of these, but I've got a sneaky suspicion that when the new battle tone rolls around at some point in the not too distant future, I'm going to be painting a lot more, and that's Blood Warriors for Blades of Corn. Ooh yeah. So these are these are for me they are the corn berserkers of Age of Sigmar. You know. These guys should be charging in. They should be hacking infantry to pieces. And the fact that they have like a piling and attack rule when they die just makes them so corn. It's almost corny. Uh. <laughs> I know. I'm so sorry. But yeah, Blood Warriors are, are, are my second choice. And then my first choice is I've got to go for something nergly to, to round out the Pantheon. And I've gone for the great unclean one. Because I have painted, if we're including Rotagus, I've painted four of these in the last couple of years. And they are just absolutely jaw-droppingly amazing models. You know, even building them, it's kind of like a jigsaw. You're like, I know this part goes on this piece, but how does it work? And then when you actually finish building it, you're like, that is genius. And then... You know, looking at them in game, you know, looking at 40k, looking at the Mage Sigma, they're really good. Like, and just that big grin on the great and clean one's face with the horns, you know, even the belly, you know, it's got guts sort of like spewing out. It's got maggots all over it. 
yeah, for me, it is absolutely amazing. And I absolutely love the great and clean one, even to this day. Yeah, it's an amazing plastic kit. So, so good. Um, And the resin one as well, Matt, I will forever remember your, you still got it, your great and clean one. Um, Such a cool model. Yeah, it really is. So grim. That just leaves, well, we've got Jace as well, but for live on the show that just leaves yours matt what are you, what is your top three so i decided to go for some more kind of unorthodox ones because i thought a lot of the heavy hitters like archeon and bellacor would already be picked so i'm glad that i did so <laughs> my number three choice is a, is a recent model and and one that really surprised me is how big it was and it's the centaurian marshal for Warcry. Oh. oh yeah. it is so cool it looks like a boss at a mortal combat or something doesn't it <laughs> <laughs> He's got like all the weapons, and he means business. He's absolutely having a place at the table in my uh, Slave to Dark time that I'll be building this winter. And number two, I had to include him in the top three Vorgrath and Scarlet, the score host of Corn, the biggest Age of Sigmar model. It, unfortunately, not, not available anymore, I don't think. I don't think you can buy him, but he is a really, really cool model. I enjoyed building him, I really enjoyed painting him. And any chance that I get to actually use it in a game, I take it because it's ridiculous and he's way more points than he should be. But uh, it's a whole load of fun. So number one, it was a hard one. There's there's lots of really cool Chaos models that I've painted over the years. Um, I'm going to put in a quick little shout out to Eternus Blade of the First Print. It's not out yet, but that is a beautiful model. They're kind of like traitorous Varangard, who's now Bellicor's lieutenant. Yeah. Beautiful model. I need to paint that up. But my number one, and I'm glad I didn't go for the other fella, it's Glutos. <laughs> Glutos Ascorlian. Just uh, uh, Slanesh. Slanesh. A lot of people seem to assume that Slanesh is the god of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. That's not really true. Slanesh is the god of excess, and and, and, and feeding yourself stupid is an excess. So Big old fat Glutos on his palanquin being fed all sorts of horrific stuff by his little halfling chef on this exuberant over the top kind of palanquin getting pulled by Chaos uh, Ogres is one of my favourite models I painted this year. So, so nice. And um, I've only, only used it at the one event and really need to get him back on the table because I really enjoyed using Maslanesh Army too and uh, Glutos was like a, a, a key linchpin in the army. He's expensive in points, but he's a he's a big lad, isn't he? So he should be. He is, he is. No, he's a really nice model. You did such an awesome job on yours as well, Matt. Cheers. So that's our top freeze, but we do have a member missing this week. So I think uh, if you've got them to hand, Matt, let's read out Jay's. Do indeed. So his number three is the affectionately titled Chaos Lord on Lizard. So this is the 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 the, the Karkadrak from the stock collecting box, and Jay is normally a, a firm opposer to the forces of chaos, but he saw this model and bought the stock collecting uh, Slaves of Darkness box because of it, didn't he? He he, uh, he counted down to the release of this box. He was dead keen on picking up this chaos. Unfortunately, it wasn't enough to keep him on that path. But, I mean, for Jay to having bought that box tells you all you need to know about that model. I know, I know. Well, it's number two choice. It's a, yeah, a Fury. Again, another war crime model. But a really, really nice kind of like unmarked lesser demon. Fits more with kind of like Bellacor aesthetic, doesn't it? 
Uh, I really like the Fury models. And then number one is another Warcry model, the Mind Stealer Spheranx, which is, I mean, it's like a giant Chaos Kitty Cat that yeah. eats your brain. So, um, yeah, I am, but you know what? I don't own one of these models. I need to own one of these models because it is beautiful. And you know what? Every time I see this model, I always think of the one that was it Louise Sugden? Louise Sugden. Yeah. It, I don't, of all the stuff she's ever painted, her paint style matches this model perfectly. Um, that's all I can think about when I think of this model. I don't think of the the box art one. Yeah, it's 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 amazing. I need to buy one. Excellent. So even Jay had a top three and he hates chaos. Well, there you go. <laughs> um, we do have some more top threes, the community top threes to run through in the next segment. So let's take one final pause and we'll be back with that. It is time for the final segment of this week's episode, and it is the community top three picks. I'm going to start over on Facebook, where James has gone for Bellacore, had to be the first in the list for me. He's then gone for the Chaos Lord on Karkadrak, a great model, and he admits that his last one is cheating a little bit. We'll let him off. And that is the new Chaos Knights, which, to be honest, do look absolutely mint. Um, Brian uh, has gone for Chaos Knights as well, but as his third choice. He's also gone for Bellacor in second, and in his top choice, he's gone for the Varangard, but admits that he doesn't actually own any yet. I'll have to change that, Brian. Um, he also says thank you. Um, no, no, he doesn't. He also says that he's been away and unfortunately missed out on sending his congratulations on episode 200. Thanks very much, Brian. Very much appreciated. Finally, on Facebook, David Anderson is his third choice. He's gone for the Beast Lord with Manric Raxes. Bit old now, but still looks menacing. Then he's put bonus choice, the out-of-production variant with the Great Axe swung back for Killing Blow. His second choice, and I like his thinking here, he's gone a bit out of the box. He's gone for the Darkfire Demon Rift Endless Spell. Ooh, yeah. And finally, a nice, simple choice for his um, top choice and that is the Chaos Lord on foot with Reaper Blade and Demon Bound Steel uh, and it, that is a really nice on foot Lord actually um, very very cool model uh, what do we have over on Twitter Matt? So over on Twitter Anonymous Rex says the Ogroid Thermatorge wish it was allowed in the Slaves of Darkness army yeah I do too uh, the new Eternus model coming out it's nice to see a new named character for Slaves of Darkness and not from the old world and Thankwell and Bone Ripper. Love the Gotrek and Felix books. <laughs> Love the Gotrek and Felix books. And this model is just amazing. Uh, Hobby Grot says, I thought I'd avoid the bigger centerpiece models, which are obviously amazing. So number three, Varangard. Number two, Ogroid Theridons. They're not out yet, but they're immediately some of my favourite models ever. Yes, I completely agree. I need like nine of these. And then the Chaos Lord and Karkadrak, a model that instantly made me want to start a Slaves to Darkness army. Andy says, I'm going for the Formeroid Crusher, the Beast of Nurgle, and Glutus Oscorlion. Jim Jackson says, the Beast of Nurgle perfectly captures their nightmare puppy character. Uh, the Varangard, gorgeous models to build, play and paint, looking at you too, Eternus. And number three, the entire Slaves to Darkness uh, launch box. Cheating, maybe, but every single model is a stone-cold banger. Very excited. <laughs> Wild West Wargaming says, so we're talking about the Grand Alliance Chaos. First off, Archeon, how could you not include him? Two, the Skaven Vermin Lord Warpseer. 
And number three, I can't decide. We're talking chaos. So third is great and clean one, keeper of secrets and bloodthirster. What about the Lord of Change? He feels in love there. Average paint, says Varangard. Bellicor, and Eternus, the blade of the first prince. It makes me want to start a Slave to Darkness army just for him. Vincent Notley, says the Chaos Lord and Karkadrak. Start collecting Slaves to Darkness warriors and the putrid Blight Kings. Tam the Third, says Bellicor, Keeper of Secrets and Lord on Karkadrak. Nevermore, says the upcoming Chaos Chosen, the Slaughter Priest with Hackblade and Gorehammer and the Iron Golems. Carter Benton, says Bellicor, Archaon and Zigvald. Ingra, says Bellicor, the Great Unclean One and Chaos Knights. Curly Joe, says Chaos Knights, Lord on Karkadrak and the upcoming Demon Prince. And I've got to say, that Demon Prince does look very tasty, doesn't it? Oh my god, I forgot about that new Demon Prince. How did I forget about that new Demon Prince? He, uh, oh, I can't wait to get my hands on that. Um, that That's new Slaves to Darkness start collecting, not start collecting, the new battle box is looking more and more tempting as, uh, as time goes on. Um, some excellent choices in those community top three picks. And it leads me to ask the question, Matt, what is next week's top three? Well, next week we've got a bit of a... Uh, a money-saving special, haven't we? So we want to know your top three ways of saving money in the hobby. A bit of a, a, an unusual one for next week. Yeah, maybe a little bit on topic there as well, uh, as many of us are trying to save pennies at the moment. Um, you can get your choices in early via social media. We will be putting a tweet and a Facebook post out um, just before recording next Sunday, um, hopefully. So you can just pop a reply on there and we'll read out as many as we can on the next podcast. Um, that unfortunately, gents, brings us to uh, the end of this episode. It's been another fun one, as always. Yes, indeed. It's uh, it's maybe want to buy a lot of uh, zinch units. Yeah, I'm definitely fe- feeling chaos infused. Uh, so yeah, uh, until next week, have a great week of hobby, and we'll speak to you all again very soon. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to the Sprues and Brews podcast. For more content, remember to check out spruesandbrews.com. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, send us a tweet at spruesandbrews or head over to facebook.com forward slash spruesandbrews. Brews.